As I was struggling to consider what I'll talk about in this podcast episode, I received an email. I received many emails like this. It was a solicitation email. I know, like you never received those before, right? But here's what this said. Good afternoon. Hope your Friday is going great. Is it okay if I send you over some clients in need of business coaching and you don't pay unless you close a client? No secret fees, no secret retainers. Compensate me solely on the results I produce. I'm looking to let two coaches test drive our 100% performance model. Simply reply yes in your phone number if this piques your interest. Simply reply stop if you never want me to contact you again. Thank you. And then there was a name. Obviously, I decided not to take that person on his offer. But it also gave me an idea, and I decided that today's episode will be about how I decide whether to trust a cold email and act on it. I will analyze this email specifically, and hopefully it will give you a few tools to make those decisions more accurately, right after this. Welcome to The Trust Show. I'm Yoram Solomon, your host, the author of the Book of Trust and facilitator of the Trust Habits Workshop. My mission is simple. I want to help you form habits that build your trustworthiness because the answer to this question will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? The first thing I have to tell you is that I actually replied to that email. And here's my reply. Hi, I'm not going to mention the name. Thank you for your message. I thank you for not very obvious reason. As I'm thinking about what to talk about in my next podcast episode, your message gave me an idea, and that's to address how you can determine if you can trust someone who sends you a cold email sales message. The short answer to your question is no or stop, if you prefer, but I would encourage you to listen to the next episode of The Trust Show podcast next Tuesday to learn why. Don't worry, I will not use your name or email address to identify you, but I will analyze your email and why I decided not to accept your offer. Maybe you can learn something from it. Yoram. Okay, the statistics, the 2023 statistics on spams. In 2022, actually, because 2023 is not over yet, 56.5% of all emails sent were spam. More than half of all emails were spam. Spam cost businesses $20.5 billion a year. 73% of spam is identity theft. 36% of spam emails is marketing or advertising. And, and, you know, I can't even tell you which one was the one that I got, if this is an identity theft, because after all, they are asking for a telephone number or some identifying information. Um, spam email leaders, you know, they they summarized by leaders. And I, I got information from multiple sources. Uh, but uh, you know who the leader is in spam emails? 
the United States in, with 8.6 billion spam emails, let me repeat that, 8.6 billion spam emails per day, not per year, not per month, not per week, per day, almost 9 billion spam emails per day. Now, I, I want to start with a couple of definitions. First of all, I, I make the definition between scam and spam, okay? And, and as I'm going to show you the definition, you'll see that it, they're actually two things on the same scale, right? On, on the same range, on the same spectrum. A scam is fraud. This is, I'm going to give you zero value, but I'm going to take a cost. Now, that cost might be, you know, if, if it's identity theft, uh, that cost is going to be that, uh, you know, it's going to start costing you when somebody starts opening bank accounts or credit card accounts on your uh, in your name uh, with your details, and it starts costing you uh, money, it starts costing you in your credit uh, uh, score, and... Uh, you know, when, when they try and take over your computer, when, when they hijack your computer and they take money from you just to release your computer, obviously you get zero value, but there is a cost for it uh, to you. Spam, on the other hand, I tend to believe it. And again, you know, the different emails would fall under different areas in this spectrum uh, that you get low value for a cost, which means they're trying to sell me something that I don't need. Now, frankly, if I'm going to, and, and let's assume that the email that I received fell into that category of spam and not scam. So this person really is offering me a service. And if I took them on it, uh, they will provide me that service. The service might not be worth the uh, cost or, or anything, um, but they're offering me a service. And, and by the way, I'm going to give you another email that I received recently. Actually, that was a LinkedIn message um, later, and, and you'll see... Uh, how I rank value versus cost. Of course, on, on the complete other end of the, uh, the spectrum are very valid offers that offer me more value than what the cost is. And if those exist, and, and, and they do, some of them do offer me more value than what they're charging for to the point where I do want to take that, that deal. But the problem is that I get so many spam emails, emails where the value is lower or no value at all compared to the cost that they're asking or demanding, that it's hard to know which one is which anymore. Now, as good as the spam folders are, and, and you know how, how aggressive spam folders are getting these days, uh, they're getting so aggressive that uh, a lot of time you don't get valid emails simply because some spam filter decided that this must be spam and, and therefore it goes to spam folders. I open my spam folders on a regular, on a daily basis to look and see if there's anything that was caught there that was not supposed to be there. And sure enough, I do find them, but that's because of the number, the percentage of spam messages that come in and that, that only makes spam filters more aggressive. So, so you get some false negatives, uh, the more they're trying to, to stop the, the positives, the, the regular negatives, not the false negatives, that, that is. And, and why do they exist? It looks like... First of all, if, if you go back, you, I'm sure that you're getting messages that offer you how to build a customer funnel, how to increase 
the number of customers and so on, they're all teaching you the same techniques that really cause you to send spam messages. So everybody's reading from the same playbook. And because of that, the number of spam, the percentage of spam is going up. And, and one thing to keep in mind is as it's going up, it's not working for you. It's not working for anyone. And the reason it's not working for you and not working for anyone is because of the eighth law of trust. The eighth law of trust is that trust is two-sided. Trust is a two-person game. It's not enough for you to be trustworthy. I need to have trustfulness. The level of trust that I have in you, you being the person sending me an email, which might be a very valid email with a good value proposition where the value to me is higher than the cost to me, the level of trust that I have in that email and in you is the product of your trustworthiness and my trustfulness, my willingness to trust people in general, my willingness to trust emails in particular or, or propositions made to me via email. So it's just not working. It doesn't matter how trustworthy you are if I don't trust emails. So let's analyze that email. And I'm going to start with the uh, who you are. The, you know, there, there are six components to my relative trust uh, model. And uh, they're in two groups, the who you are and the what you do. Who you are is essentially what can I know, what do I know about you to start the interaction? Now, first of all, I never researched you, you being the person sending me sending me this email. I, I never researched you. So I don't know anything about you by me looking. Okay, so we'll, we'll put that aside. I, I know nothing about your competence, nothing about the personality compatibility with me, nothing about the symmetry in, in our relationship. So I have not researched you. So that, that's a pretty bad uh, starting point. There is another way to build the who you are, and that's through the fifth law of trust. Trust is transferable. So if somebody told me something about you, whether it was an online review, which I would only get if I had researched you, which I haven't, because that email is cold, or somebody actually told me, hey, you're going to get an email from that person. Um, I've worked with them before. That didn't exist. So the starting point for the who you are is zero. Zero trust. I didn't research you. Nobody told me anything about you. I know nothing about you until I get your email. So let's analyze. Competence. First component of who you are. Competence. The format of this email is unprofessional. First of all, um, you know, even things like the language itself that tells me that this is not an, an English speaker, an original English speaker, you know, all kinds of little grammatical mistakes, formatting mistakes, and, and so on. Scores low on competence. There's no company name. There's no company name. There is an email address. There is a name. By the way, there's only a first name. So interesting, you're not sharing your full name. There's only a first name, which again, I'm not going to repeat. 
not that I feel overly protective about someone who, frankly, is invading my inbox. I mean, there's already a cost to me without getting anything. And, and the email address is a name with a number, which means this is not even the first person to get that name, at gmail.com. No domain. Once again, no company name. There is no signature block other than the name. You know, it just, um, I'm going up to the email itself. Uh, it just says thank you and then the name. Some of the lines uh, don't end with uh, with a period. Um, you know, again, even the language itself, it, it just does not indicate to me that that person is very competent. So I'm going to say we're ranked pretty low on competence. Let's see personality compatibility. So the first name, and, and you know, it's kind of hard to separate personality compatibility from empathy. Uh, and you know, especially since I don't know this person before, I'm going to skip the personality compatibility and talk about that when I talk about empathy, because those two are, are heavily uh, related. Now, here's an interesting thing. Symmetry. Symmetry actually ranks high on this email. How does symmetry rank high? I'll tell you why. Because here's what he says. He says, compensate me solely for the results I produce. He says that there are no secret fees. There are no secret retainers. All he's saying is, and he's actually saying, you don't pay unless you, you close a client. Now, uh, we got to be careful here with what does it mean to close a client. Uh, this person and myself may have slightly different definitions of closing a client. He might charge me. Maybe the communication actually goes without me knowing who the client is. And then the client at some point says, this is how cynical I am today because of that level of fraud that we have today. Maybe that that client, supposedly client, communicates with me through that person and says, I'm ready to close, uh, I'm ready to uh, to do a deal, and uh, and then this person says, pay me $1,000 to actually get the details and continue the conversation directly. So maybe that's their definition of closing client, it definitely is not mine. And again, you see how my level of trustfulness is so low because of these practices being used on me in the past or tried on me. But I'm back to, to symmetry. At least on the surface, it appears that this ranks high on symmetry. It says no secret fees. It says uh, you don't pay until you, you close a client, which means that I don't pay you just to see if this works. You know, all those scams where um, they're telling you... Uh, a friend of mine actually uh, recently was was almost hurt by a scam like this when somebody reached out to them and said, uh, here, we're, we're booking you as a speaker and the booking fee is going to be $40,000 and they're w willing to pay him the $40,000 and they send him a check and the check is for $46,000 and he goes, why did you send me more? And they say, well, actually, we need you to pay $6,000 to this other entity for the event and keep the 40000 to yourself. Well, obviously, that was a red flag, and that's when he found that uh, the bank has rejected that check. That check was not covered. Um, 
But here we're talking about, I mean, at least on the surface, it looks like it's a symmetrical relationship. So in summary, the who you are, what do I know about you before we started interacting, before this email, I know nothing about you. I did not research you. Nobody told me anything about you or gave me any indication that I can trust you. An analysis of the who you are, competence is low. The format is unprofessional. There's no company name. The email address is something at Gmail with numbers, which means you're not even the first one to have this name on email. And maybe it's you did it before. Uh, symmetry. Symmetry ranks high, at least on the surface. It appears as if this is going to be a symmetrical relationship. Again, I'm very suspicious, and I believe that it's not. Personality compatibility. I'll talk about that when I talk about empathy. The first component of the what you do, so this is what happens between that person and myself through that email, because that's the only interaction that we have. Uh, the first component, uh, the component that gets amplified by time and intimacy is positivity. And positivity has two subcomponents. The first one is BS. And BS was actually the topic of last week's uh, uh, podcast episode and, and article. So what about BS? Uh, I'll be honest, there is not a lot in that email to lead me in one direction or the other. So this is a total BS or total no BS. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you that the fact that uh, he gives me a very simple way to opt out of future emails, uh, such as saying, just write stop and I'll stop bothering you, uh, that actually is a good thing. Uh, it, it's a no BS thing. But there is another element there. And, you know, I know the tools to sell something. And, and two of the tools to sell something are, well, the more of the tools. There is a discount and then there is the, uh, uh, you know, an opportunity. So two of the tools that they're touching is not talking about any discount, but he's talking about a, a sense of pressure, an opportunity. So scarcity, which is a very powerful influence uh, component, he's saying, I'm looking to let two coaches test drive. And of course, uh, at that point, he's also talking about our 100% performance model. So when you say 100% performance model, this is BS to me. So bad point for you by saying that this is 100% performance model. If you really believe it's 100% performance model, then you're totally full of BS. But then I'm looking to let two coaches, there's only two coaches that will test drive our performance model. Only two coaches. We're not going to let anybody else. It's an opportunity and, and it's a limited time opportunity. That's BS. We both know that it's BS. You know, my, I got my daughter to, uh, I, I sent her something that I do think has value, but they're saying that there's an opportunity. They're offering a very special discount. Instead of 200 something dollars, it's $29 and it ends tonight. I've seen this ad keep popping up with this, it ends tonight for the last three months. It doesn't end tonight. You're creating a false sense of scarcity. So when I look at that email and it says, I'm looking to let two coaches, only two coaches, test drive our 100% performance model, that is a total BS statement. And you lost me there. You lost me with that part. 
Let's talk about the second part of positivity, and that's empathy. You didn't use my name. You got my email, obviously. You didn't use my name. You just said good afternoon. So am I supposed to think that you really are talking to me or that the easiest way to do cut and paste is, is not to try and include the name? You know, for crying out loud, and this goes back to competence, there's so many email systems or CRM systems that would allow you to even put a field that would automatically put my name. All you had to do is just into your database, which I don't know where you got it from, uh, put my first name and it would say, good afternoon, Yoram. But you didn't use my name. Low on empathy. Now, if I'm going back to personality compatibility, uh, since I don't know anything about you before, I know nothing about your values. I don't see how we have anything in common. I know nothing about your ethics. I'm making assumptions. And that's one of the problems with knowing nothing about you. That's one of the problems in relying 100% on the interaction, which is a bad interaction. So you score low on empathy. Next, I typically combine time and intimacy together because those are accelerators. They're not really components by themselves. They're accelerators to building trust. Well, this is the first message I ever got from this person. Uh, and, you know, I get a lot of cold emails and, and, you know, after two weeks, I get another email from the same person with something else. After some time, I get another email. It actually does build time together because I see some level of consistency. But this is the first message that I got from this person. I'm guessing after my reply to, to him, uh, I'm not going to get a second message. But the first message has very, very or ranks very, very low on time. Uh, we spend no time together. So, you know. I know nothing about you. Once again, uh, I'm building everything that that I'm building my decision on my assumptions. My assumptions are based on very little information that's based on a single interaction. That's really bad. It's a text only message. You know, forget the fact that uh, it's a Gmail address. There is no company name. There is no picture. There is no video. It's not a phone call. It's the lowest form of intimacy. It's an email-only message. Email is easy. With an email, I can't tell whether there is consistency between what you say and, and how you say it. I, I did call people back sometimes after, typically not after the first message, I'm going back to time, not after the first message, but after like five, six messages where uh, I, I'm starting to think that, you know what, maybe there is something in here that, that I would actually respond to them and we would have a call and then I would look for more consistency between body language, tone of voice and the message itself. Okay, I, I'm done analyzing this email based on my six component relative trust model. But there is one more comment that I want to talk about, one more aspect that I want to talk about, and that's I'm going back to the fundamentals of trust. And the question I'm going to ask here is, what do I have to lose by, by accepting their offer? Well, what do I have to lose? Because remember that one of the things that this person has done is this person had made it, or at least appear, 
to be risk-free. There's no risk. He said, hey, um, where, where is uh, his email? He says, no secret fees. Oh, by the way, so, so from the beginning, uh, actually, and I should have talked about that in empathy because he asked, is it okay if we send you over some clients in need of business coaching? By the way, go back to competence. Uh, you don't know that I'm not in the business of business coaching. So that's kind of actually, if we're talking about um, maybe personality compatibility, you know nothing about me. Not only that I know nothing about you, but you know nothing about me. And, and he's asking, is it okay if we send you some clients, which shows empathy? You're not just sending me clients, you're actually asking if this is okay. It's kind of, you know, a tongue-in-cheek because would anybody who was in the business of business, co business coaching, which by the way, I'm not, um, but anybody else, uh, this is almost a rhetorical question. Yeah, of course I want you to send some clients in need for what I have to offer. But then he goes, uh, you don't have to pay unless you close a client, which, you know, what is their definition of closing a client? Uh, no secret fees, no secret retainers. Uh, by the way, uh, oh, and compensate me solely for the results that I produce. And, and oh, by the way, um, I don't know that. I, I don't know that there are not going to be any secret fees or secret retainers because I don't know what you mean by closing clients. And, and you actually showed that you trust me through this email, not through a relationship, but through this email, you create the illusion that you're trusting me because you're telling me close the client. After you close the client, that's when you pay me. This should actually go back into symmetry because, you know, you're giving symmetry. You're giving me the advantage in, in symmetry. You're giving me the clients hoping that I will pay you back, which frankly, with the level of trustfulness, the very low level of trustfulness that I have um, in, in cold emails in general, I just don't believe that that is what you're doing. But, but let's go back to the fundamental of, of trust. And the fundamental of trust is that trust is your willingness to accept the possible possible negative consequences of giving control over something you have to somebody else, expecting them to minimize those negative consequences. What do I have to lose? He's not asking for $10,000 and say, and then I need to trust that he will provide me with customers that I will close that would generate more than $10,000 in revenue for me. It looks like I don't have anything to lose. You know, so what is he asking for? He's just saying, say yes and give me some personal information. He's actually asking for a telephone number. He's also asking me for my time. You know, I'm starting to think, uh, I just gave him, like at this point, almost 30 minutes in just recording the podcast episode, not to mention that I'm going to um, edit it and not to mention that I wrote the outline and thought about this. So, so we're talking hours of work. So I already gave him hours of work, but actually I didn't. I didn't give it to him. I gave it to you. I gave you those hours of work because I'm trying to help you figure out how to decide whether you trust an email like this or not. So what do I have to lose? What I have to lose is my time in responding to him, my time in communicating with, with them, giving him more personal information that I shouldn't give, that can be used for I don't know what, 
more spam from other people. So even though he makes it seem like there's nothing to lose, there are things to lose. And I always want you to think about it because typically those things that you have to lose are very well hidden within the email. You don't even realize how that happened. And I remember back that email that I received in 2013 that appears to have been from the White House, the United States White House, that at some point said, uh, that invited me for a meeting at the White House, and at some point said, uh, somebody will call you, give them your social security number so they can arrange for security. Everything seems so innocent and harmless And you totally miss the fact that you're about to give your social security number to somebody you don't know. And that is pretty significant. So even though it appears like I had nothing to lose, I did. And I do have things to lose by responding to this email. I want to wrap up with another message that I received uh, that touches on on another pet peeve of mine that you probably know by now. This was not an email. This is something that I received on LinkedIn. Uh, It's a cold LinkedIn message from somebody I'm not directly connected to. And I'm going to read to you the message uh, from someone. She looks, this time it's a female. She looks very pretty, innocent, uh, nice. I'm willing to bet that's not really her picture. And and maybe it is. Maybe it is. And that message, once again, I'm not going to give you a name because that's not the point. Uh, And it says this. Hey, Yoram. But by the way, she, she actually does call me by name. So score point for empathy. Hey, Yoram. Took a look at your LinkedIn. Gotta say... You really should write a book sharing your journey and knowledge. I really should write a book. Are you talking about book number 20? Because I already published the first 19. Obviously, she didn't do her homework. There goes empathy. Let me continue. My guarantee hit number one on Amazon slash Wall Street Journal in six months, or I'll give you $10,000. Notice she's not saying hit number one on Amazon and Wall Street Journal. The slash Wall Street Journal means that it's Amazon or Wall Street Journal. And we both know that I can become a number one bestseller on Amazon uh, with $10 in 24 hours. I know how to do that. I don't need you. It's just it's unethical to do it. But when you put the slash Wall Street Journal, you lead me to think that you're going to make me number one on both. But you're not. It's a slash. It's either or. And maybe I totally missed it. And then she says, I'll handle everything. Writing, cover, publishing, promotion. That's bull. That's nothing to handle. All you have to do is get a book. Doesn't even have to be a book. Just has to be a PDF file. Put it in in a low competitiveness category, lower the price on Kindle to 99 cents, get 10 of my closest friends to to buy it in in one week, and it's a number one book in that category. That's the only thing you can cover. Then she says, uh, open to chat. Pretty short message. Here's my answer. This is my answer. This is word for word what I answered her. 
Well, obviously you don't know me because I already published 19 books, none of which is a best-selling. So, let me ask you, do you think it's ethical for me to lower the price of my Kindle book to 99 cents, maybe change the category of the book to a less competitive one, so I will need fewer of my friends buy it, just so that it jumps to number one in that category for 24 hours and then claim that I'm a best-selling author, even though a month later my book would rank number 450,000 from the top on Amazon and claim that I'm the same as Walter Isaacson, that's the person who wrote the uh, biographies of Steve Jobs and uh, Elon Musk and, and others, or James Clear, that's the person who wrote uh, the... Uh, 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 Atomic Habits book, who are really best-selling authors. What do you think? Well, as you can imagine, that was the end of that conversation. I never heard back from her. Um, I was thinking about sending her a message saying, oh, by the way, thank you for your message because I'm going to use it as an example. And by the way, I did use it as an example and will continue to use it as an example. This is one of my pet peeves. Well, I hope this was helpful. I hope this helps you figure out how to look how to analyze whether you can trust a cold message uh cold email message or, or any uh, approach that you get by somebody that you don't know unfortunately the overwhelming majority of emails you're getting are spam or scams i said majority which means that every now and then there is something that's real when you hear something funny you know that email i told you about from the white house that was actually real, and in December of 2013, I did attend a full-day meeting at the White House. But I really didn't believe it was real based on uh, uh, my, my initial analysis, but I did further analyze. So every now and then, there is an email message that's real, that's really offering you value for more than the price that they're asking from you. But those are very few and very hard to find, and I hope that this episode helped you a little in figuring out how you can tell those. Unfortunately, it's more about how can you eliminate the others. That's it for today. May trust be with you. This was The Trust Show. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website, trusthabits.com. And remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.